0: Crosscast MiniCast.
1: Welcome everybody to this mini cast with Crosscast. I'm Philip. I have Adam here and this episode's going to be something different. So we've been going through Bible prophecy. We're still progressing through this series, but again tonight we've put that on pause. We're Injecting what we're calling a mini cast, and of course, by the term, it's going to be shorter. It's going to be a little bit more impromptu, and of course, comes the discussion and the commentary, um, but still informative. And we have some—I would like to call them special verses, special passages in the Bible. In short, we're going to have some some good Bible stories tonight. Obscure Bible stories, <laughs> to say the least. But they're still among our favorites. These are probably our favorite obscure Bible stories. Well, it's the
0: stories you just don't hear every day, especially from the pulpit. Yeah. Cause teaching it's hard. It's hard to teach this stuff. Like how do you teach this without it just being okay? We're in this part of the Bible. So we have to teach this. Um, <laughs> let me see what I can't pull up out of it. Right. Because basically what happened
1: is pretty clear and there's really no other way to interpret other than it's clear what happened here.
0: Right. Yeah. It's hard to, I don't know. It's hard to teach this stuff the way it is.
1: So what we want to do, we have selected basically three passages a piece, and we're just going to go through them in random order. I wanted to first start out with a story that was really interesting because not only do you have the passage of apocalyptic-type description, but also there was a testimony that a brother in the Lord shared with me. And going back to... The events of 9/11. So, whenever 9/11 occurred, the twin towers were destroyed, and the Pentagon was hit. And there was four aircraft. There was another one that was down, I think, in the fields of Pennsylvania as well. It was supposed to hit the um, the Capitol building or something
0: like that. I think it was the White House.
1: Yeah, it was another target in DC. Yeah. I couldn't remember if it was the Capitol or the White House. But a brother in the Lord, acquaintance of, uh, of mine at the time his name was Saul. So that's very interesting. His name was actually Saul. And he worked out at one of the chemical plants, not too far from, from our area. And he says, man, I got to tell you the story that just happened to me. Now this was maybe, it couldn't have been more than two weeks after 9-11. Okay. So this is huge news. It's, on everybody's mind, as it should have been, you know, at that point, everybody was talking about what's going to happen next. Who are we going to war with? You know, all these discussions. Well, he was at the plant and everybody knew that this was a Christian. And he was, I think at the time, even like a youth pastor in his church and things of that nature. So he was bivocational youth pastor, but he was full-time employee at this plant. So what happened was these coworkers of his were, challenging the Bible. Where's God in this event? Where's your God now? Why did he let this happen? And there was anger in this thing. And so he was being grilled at the, at the plant during work. And he said to himself, he's like, man, you know, this is such a challenge. And he, so he sought the Lord. He said, God, look, this is way beyond me. I don't know what you want me to do but just help me out here. And so there was, I couldn't remember the exact number, but it was a whole crew of people. And so it was something like, you know, 20 to, you know, maybe 30, close to 30 people, something like that. It was a group. Right. And they came and they said, uh, show me where this is in the Bible. That was kind of the, the challenge at the end where nine eleven is exactly. So where, where nine eleven in the Bible? You show me, how does the Bible have anything to do with modern time or, you know, cause you Christians go and you consult your Bible about everything. Well, this is huge. This is earth changing. So you show me the proof. So Saul, he said, God, you're challenged here. And these people really want to answer. And this was serious. This wasn't a game because again, this just happened. 9-11 had just happened. And so everyone was real passionate about it. And so he said, Lord, I don't know what to do. Help me out. So he went to his Bible He did what every Christian should not do when you're seeking wisdom from the word. He did the just random open and point and look. Right. And so he looked down and he he found himself in the Old Testament minor prophet, the book of Zephaniah. So Hold on.
0: If you're looking for an answer, that's one of those places that when you see where your hand landed. (laughs) You're like, let's try again. Oh, (laughs) no. Yeah. And and for those who don't
1: know, uh, Zephaniah is really... It's three chapters, and I'm flipping my pages here in my Bible, and it's uh, one, two, three, four pages.
0: Hitting that in the Bible is like getting the Italy trip on Wheel of Fortune. <laughs> yeah.
1: So, yeah, I mean, so he lands here, and he puts his finger down, and this is what he sees. So remember, nine eleven. So if you can get the imagery back in your mind about that day, everybody's seen the news clips for those that were alive and adult enough to remember it as you know you and I are, we remember what that looked like. right. So if you can have that imagery in your head and this is what he sees right here, this is what what went down. He looked uh, Zephaniah chapter one starting in verse 14. it says, "The great day of the Lord is near. It is near and hastens quickly. The noise of the day of the Lord is bitter. There the mighty men shall cry out. That day is a day of wrath, a day of trouble and distress, a day of devastation and desolation, a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness, a day of trumpet and alarm against the fortified cities and against the high towers. I will bring distress upon men and they shall walk like blind men because they have sinned against the Lord. Their blood shall be poured out like dust, and their flesh like refuse. Neither their silver nor their gold shall be able to deliver them in the day of the Lord's wrath. But the whole land shall be devoured by the fire of his jealousy, for he will make speedy riddance of all those who dwell in that land. And so you could have heard a pin drop at that point whenever he closed out with that little sermon. And right. everybody was like, oh, my goodness. And, of course, the imagery, the dust, the darkness, the gloominess, and then the fortified cities, and their silver and their gold. And well, that's, and their which, high towers. That's right. And then the high towers, in some versions, say corner towers. And if you remember what the, the World Trade Center towers looked like, remember they were corner to corner. Mm-hmm. Whenever he read this, everyone was stunned. And so he just went with it. God was all over the situation. He said, look here. If anybody wants to become born again and repent, now's the time. Let's pray to the Lord and let's receive Christ. And everybody <laughs> bowed their head and everybody repeated the prayer of salvation right there at the work after he had read that. So it was a completely amazing story. While on the clock. While on the clock. That's w- crazy. Went in souls for the Lord while getting paid for it.
0: <laughs> so not even, a, not even a pastor. Yeah.
1: So that was that was an amazing testimony. And again, if for those who remember what it was like during that time of nine 11, and there was so much soul searching and panic, you know, you didn't know what type of war we were about to find ourselves in. Uh, The churches were full for about three weeks. I remember Mm -hmm. that because I was a youth pastor at the time. So our church was about triple the attendance for about three weeks. And then people forgot about it afterwards, I guess. Um, But no, that was a really cool story. And I don't recommend that Christians do the old flip random point look approach to finding wisdom and needing help. Right. It, it, it happened to work in that moment. And-
0: I've done it. Um, I mean, I can't lie. I've done it. Um, I've done it when prepping lessons, like that, just terrible came dude. in. Like I have no idea what I'm teaching tonight, and just dropped it open and boom. Oh, we're gonna teach you know Obadiah. Oh, maybe I'll do this
1: again. Um, man, that's not. This isn't really confession time, man.
0: I'm just saying, man, honesty. <laughs> well,
1: I, I hear what you're saying, but <laughs> uh, but the Zephaniah passage. I mean, again, this is such a small book in the Bible, right? And for him to land right here on that, I do, I do believe that that was God using His word and. And using our brother Saul in that moment. Now, I'm not saying that this passage in Zephaniah was all about the 9-11 event. That's not what I'm asserting. This was something I believe completely different. But the parallel here, I think, was spot on. I think the application was uh, was very applicable. It was a very applicable um, referencing, paralleling, and and I don't say analogy, it's more than analogy, but it's, it's demanding people repent. Like this world is not safe. This world is not what you think it is. And and mankind needs to turn to God in repentance. So in the end it was, uh, you know, glory to God on it.
0: Okay. So from that, that's a personal story of something that happened. So from this point, it's more of stories in the Bible that we find interesting. So for this one, Daniel four and this is Nebuchadnezzar has another dream. And when you first start reading this, this is what caught me. When you first start reading Daniel 4, yeah, you feel like you're back in Daniel 2 because it starts off with Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. He calls the the magicians and he calls the Chaldeans and he calls those people in. Hey, interpret my dream. Oh, we can't do it. And so then he calls for Belshazzar or Daniel, Belshazzar being his Babylonian name and then in verse 9 the king says something that's really interesting to me he says Belshazzar or Daniel chief of the magicians because I know that the spirit of the holy God is in you and no secret troubles you explain to me the visions of my dream that I have seen and its interpretation so like right out of verse 9 he's already saying okay one I'm calling you by your babylonian name and two you're the chief of the magicians you know what i'm saying so he's kind of gotten a worldly title and a worldly position with this king this king still doesn't get it right and we're referencing
1: daniel chapter two and the dream of the statue the head of gold right arms of silver
0: yeah so king nebuchadnezzar he still doesn't really get it he still doesn't really get that there's only one god So then in verse 10, this is his dream. He says, There was a vision in my head while on my bed. I was looking, and behold, a tree in the midst of the earth, and its height was great. The tree grew and became strong. Its height reached to the heavens, and it could be seen to the ends of all the earth. Its leaves were lovely, its fruit abundant, and it was food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it. The birds of the heavens dwelt in its branches, and all flesh was fed from it. I saw in this vision in my head while on my bed, And there was a watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven. He cried aloud and said thus, Chop down the tree and cut off its branches. Strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the beast get out from under it and the birds from its branches. Nevertheless, leave the stump and roots in the earth bound with a band of iron and bronze. In the tender grass of the field, let it be wet with the dew of the heavens and let him graze with the beasts on the grass of the earth. Let his heart change from that of a man. Let him be given the heart of a beast and let seven times pass over him. This decision is by the decree of the watchers and the sentence by the word of the holy ones in order that the living may know that the most high rules in the kingdom of men given to whomever he will and sets over at the lowest of men. So that's the dream. And he turns to Daniel and he says, okay, Daniel, like, You've done this before. I know you got this. What's it mean? And Daniel, he's kind of panicky and he says, Hey King, it means you're the tree. Like I would love to tell you it's your enemies. He even says that, but you're the tree and all that you just said is, you know, that's coming for you. The stump in the ground being left with its roots. That means that after the seven times or seven years, you'll get your kingdom back, but not until You confess that God is the God, the most high, the only God. And then in verse 27, he gives him this. He says, therefore, O King, let my advice be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by being righteous and your iniquities by showing mercy to the poor. Perhaps there may be lengthening of your prosperity. And in the other translation I was reading, he basically says, look, just drop everything you're doing. And maybe this won't come for you, you know, cause you don't want this. And then from that point, the next verse 28 it says, all this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. And at the end of the 12 months, he was walking about the Royal palace of Babylon. The King spoke saying, is not this great Babylon that I have built for a Royal dwelling by my mighty power and for the honor of myself. While the word was still in the king's mouth. A voice fell from heaven. King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you. And then from that point, exactly what he said. He's driven out. He's made to eat grass from the field. He's given the mind of a beast. The really interesting part is like the dew from heaven, just like the morning dew, the wetness, falls on him until hair grows out of his body like the feathers of a bird. So he's got hair just... Everywhere, and his, his fingernails grow out like claws, and he becomes a beast in the field for seven years. He spends seven years like that, and I like the way again here it says seven times because we were discussing previously in um, in the last couple episodes how in Daniel they say time times and half a time, and it's three and a half years. So again, here it says seven times, so it's not a repetition; it's multiple time. Like seven times one equals seven. I'm confusing myself. I know <laughs> we just went in a circle. We got back to seven. <laughs> and then in verse 34, at the end of the time, I Nebuchadnezzar lifted my eyes to heaven and my understanding returned to me. And I blessed the most high and praise and honored him who lives forever for his dominion is everlasting dominion and his kingdom is from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. He does according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth no one can restrain his hand or say to him what have you done? I remember learning this story in like Bible school but you never hear it from a pulpit. Well it's bizarre. You have this
1: most powerful man in the world most powerful empire in the world unchallenged and he is claiming to be God. He's demanding worship. We saw that with the fiery furnace and the the three hebrew men that refused but as you were reading this uh no you didn't read it but verse 33 it says that very hour the word was fulfilled concerning nebuchadnezzar he was driven from the men ate grass like oxen his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair had grown like eagles feathers like you mentioned and he had bird's claws and it was that very hour like as soon as he said that that's exactly when the exile occurred and so you have the most powerful man on the planet going to become a cow or something it's, <laughs> with, with like some long claws. It's, it's bizarre. You could make an argument
0: for werewolves in the Bible. It happened. He went from being a man to instantaneously and changes into a beast eating grass. I don't know if werewolves eat grass, but... Uh, I mean, the the
1: <laughs> the countenance of what he looked like, perhaps you get some sort of werewolf image. Definitely a beast, right. right? Definitely a beast. Well, but
0: you have to think. I mean, how many people in that kingdom saw this? Because it says he was run out from the people. Saw this, knew he was out there, knew kind of where he was and what was going on, and feared him. I mean, he had to become like a an old wives' tale for scaring children, kind of like the boogeyman. Like, you know, you eat your vegetables and that happens to you too. Like The king didn't eat his vegetables. I don't know, but then he was restored back right. to his kingdom. That's the weird part. Like, you all right? Oh, <laughs> no, it's just. What was that all about? <laughs> <laughs> but it's just God flexing muscle. He's just. That's the point. Oh, I'm the you're the king. That's the point right there. That's the point. Right, because it's that moment he's walking across the castle and he's like, is not this everything I built and all that I've done, is this not the best that there is? And like right that moment, shikaka. <laughs> I don't know if it's that, but but no, <laughs> but no, it's true because we we look
1: at um, God can do anything that He wants inside of All His right. holy will. Stuff that is way beyond our intellect or anything that we can conceive to do to an enemy or to confound an enemy, to perplex an enemy, to confuse an enemy, or destroy them or make an example. God has these amazing ways to do it. And I think, too, that God doesn't do it the same way every time because he's God. It shows that he is a God of creation, so he creates new ways to judge people and chastise people, just like he creates new things for us to enjoy. And going through the Gospels, whenever you see Jesus Christ healing people, it's never really the same way. At some point, he's speaking upon them. Other times, he's laying hands on him. Other times he's spitting people's eye with mud. Another time he's saying, Hey, go get in that muddy pond over there. And, and so all these different things, but I think the reason is, is so that way it doesn't look formulaic to us. Like we're saying, Oh, that's a formula, write that recipe down so we can repeat it. it." So now we're just, we're not focused on God being God, just as you said, but instead we're like, we got the formula. That's all we need. We don't need God anymore. So that's what I'm seeing here as well. Like, uh, you know, not like it was random, but it seems random. us. um, yeah, you're going to be a beast for um, seven years. Well,
0: well, how many times have you seen like a spirit healer do the same thing every time? Like, oh, they touched Jesus' garment? Yeah, my jacket. Let me take my jacket off and throw it at you, and you're going to just... <laughs> I can't believe you went there. Oh. <laughs> you know what I'm saying, though? <laughs> it's on YouTube. It's on YouTube. Type <laughs> it in. You can see it. And they take their jacket off and just wave it over. They're hitting people in the head with it. And just, I mean, it's like, hit, hit. and then he just throws it at somebody. (laughs) It's crazy, but they did it. They do it.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, it's not, we don't have formulas. We we seek the Lord. That's the point. And again, this is a very interesting Bible story, obscure, um, strange, but entertaining at the same time. Right. It kind of brings fear and trepidation to your heart if you think to go against God, because I don't want a hairy body, long claws, and... I'm out in the wilderness for seven years eating grass.
0: My wife won't let me come to bed.
1: <laughs> I don't think I'd be let in the community. Right. <laughs> I'd probably be tranquilized and put in some sort of lab. <laughs> <laughs> so the next one is, this is one of my all-time favorites. Uh, okay, I want to plug for Christians. Um, you need to be reading your Bible on your own. Okay, that's a plug to read your Bible on your own because this is where I discovered this one. I was reading my Bible on my own. I was going through, you know, the books in full and not skipping any verses, just trying to work through the Bible. And of course, the first time I came across this passage was uh reading, I'd never heard it from the pulpit, never even heard it as a story or anything. And so I when I saw it, it was the hold up, put it in reverse, let me back up. Did right. I just see what I thought I just saw? And then then reread it carefully, and, and then, you know, this is what we get into. So Uh, It's in 2 Kings chapter 2, and this is Elisha. Not Elijah, but Elisha. I just want to read the verses because I think I can't put it any better than this. So I'm going to pick up verse 19 here. It says, Then the men of the city said to Elisha, Please notice the situation of the city is pleasant, as my Lord sees, but the water is bad and the ground barren. And he said, That's Elisha speaking now. And he said, bring me a new bowl and put some salt in it. So they brought it to him. Then he went out to the source of the water and cast in the salt there and said, thus says the Lord, I have healed this water. From it, there shall be no more death or barrenness. So the water remains healed to this day, according to the word of Elisha, which he spoke. Then he went up from there to Bethel, and as he was going up the road, some youths came from the city and mocked him, and said to him, Go up, you bald head, go up, you bald head. So he turned around and looked at them, and pronounced a curse on them in the name of the Lord. And two female bears came out of the woods and mauled forty-two of the youths. Then he went from there to Mount Carmel and from there he returned to Samaria. (laughs) (laughs) I mean when I read that, I was like, hold up a sec. I was, you know, following along with healing the land and you know, Elisha's doing the ministry of the Lord and he's
0: traveling and oh look, we have some kids, there's gonna be ministry here. And that's what I'm thinking as I'm reading this. Uh, Okay, two thoughts. One my dad growing up is not the most Bible quoting person I've ever met. (laughs) I do not know how many times I picked on him being bald, and he quoted that at me. (laughs) I'm serious. Like, I grew up with him quoting that. I don't know how many times. (laughs) Two, how many youth ministers can read that and go, yeah, see what's coming for you? Look here, you youths. (laughs) Whatever youths get out of line, (laughs) guess what happens?
1: Yeah, so I'm sitting there. I put it in reverse as I'm reading. I'm like, hold up. (laughs) <laughs> Did that? Because I mean, I'm in the flow, man. I'm reading the Bible, and you know, ministry things are happening, right? And then you know, hey, we we healed some people's watering hole, and they're gonna have vegetation and food, and the land is fruitful. And Elisha's moving to the land, doing God. Hey, there's kids. We're gonna save some souls. <laughs> That's what I'm thinking. <laughs> and then they start yelling at him, and they caught him a bald head. I'm like, what a mean thing. <laughs> there's lots of bald people in the world. Some people right. choose to be bald. Some people can't help it, but it's it's wonderful. I'm losing hair. I'm going to be bald probably one day and it's okay. And I'm like, why are they picking on this man for being bald? I'm like, that's kind of mean. And then Elisha addresses the problem. And I was like, <laughs> he pronounces the curse. And then it says two female bears. I'm like, Oh no, this is not going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> oh no.
0: Bears. <laughs> I like, Oh no. <laughs> hey, and I was telling you not too long ago, i I follow a lot of bow hunters online and one of them, I follow this guy named Adam Greentree is a bow hunter from Australia. And he had a video where a a female bear ran in on him to like 30 yards to 20 yards and up to like 10 yards. And he had the camera in one hand and a gun in the other hand, and he's trying not to shoot the bear and he didn't have to, but he got footage of just that bear at like 10 yards standing up on its hind legs and looking at him like, Hey, 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 Hey. (laughs) You might get mauled today. Yeah, you were in the wrong place. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And right after that, he had another video of him walking away, and you could tell his adrenaline was at a thousand. He was, I just saw a bear, Australian. I don't yeah. do it well. No, He's you're, like, you're, you're saw a that- bear. Go blah blah blah, yeah. blokes and you know <laughs> kangaroos. <laughs> you know, just whatever. But he was freaking out, man. Like I, I would, I would need a new
1: pair of shorts. No lie. Right. Uh, I I don't know. Anyway, so these these kids didn't feel uh, fair too well messing with a man of God. So I, I don't know. I'm just, uh, I just, I don't even know what to say. I mean, how do you, how do you take this and spiritualize it? Or I mean, other than you don't mess with the men of the Lord and God bless bald people. You know, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. The, the only other thing that was kind of interesting, there was a little bit of color, I guess. And there's a little, uh, footnote here in my Bible. I'll just read it to you it's real quick. It says these youths were young men, not children, possibly false prophets of Baal. Um, Go up implies Elisha should go into heaven as Elijah had. Remember, Elijah was pulled up, raptured up, you know, and didn't taste death. So Elisha was kind of his apprentice, if you will, or, you know, his Timothy, if you can call him that. And so Elijah kind of passed it over to Elisha. So everybody knew that. And maybe what this little footnote is implying that maybe they were saying, hey, they're mocking him. Why don't you go up like Elijah did? And then bald head might allude to the outcast lepers of that day. And then here's the other here's the other definition, or to Elisha's actual head. And I'm like, right. well, it's probably his actual head. Probably his
0: actual head, since kids don't have a problem with yeah. hair,
1: and they're and they're uh, very immature anyway. Right. And then it goes on to give me another real uh, intellectual footnote, and it says that Elisha may have had a bald head because either he shaved it and wanted it that way, or it was just. It was falling out.
0: I'm like, well, that's, well, I'm like, well, that's very informative. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm so glad somebody took the time to write these footnotes.
1: Yeah, I think they just wanted to fill it up, make it look intellectual in my, right. in my study Bible. So, uh, but anyway, but that that was another one there. Okay, so another one that I had was, it's. I will say this: it's a little lengthy in the reading, but I think it's a wonderful story of cleansing. So this is oh also gosh. in Second Kings. This is 2 Kings. 2 Kings is an amazing book of stories. Uh, so, and we're going to get to 1 Kings here shortly too. But but okay, so 2 Kings chapter 23, and let me just read it. This is about Josiah. Now, let me preface by saying Josiah was in the order of many kings. This is when Judah and Israel was separated at this point in time. Right. There's a lot of wicked kings, wicked kings doing paganry and all this other stuff. So Josiah inherited this. He, he was brought up in this, Right he didn't have much upbringing in the Bible, in the word of God. So it, it picks up here. It says, Now the king sent them to gather all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem to him. The king went up to the house of the Lord with all the men of Judah and with him all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the priests and the prophets and all the people, both small and great. And he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant, which had been found in the house of the Lord. So they found, basically it's like they found a Bible and for the first time they're reading it so now they're getting instruction about what's right what's wrong what pleases the lord what angers the lord so now they have this instruction so here so this is the key that's pivotal so this is going to affect things now right remember there's paganry in the land so here's <laughs> Josiah a very zealous man of god right so so what is he going to do is he going to go preach to him he's going to go convince them you know, is he going to go convince them is he going to go debate them well let's see here it says Then the king stood by a pillar and made a covenant before the Lord to follow the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart and with all his soul to perform the words of the covenant that were written in this book. And all the people took a stand for the covenant. So this is good. It's a revival. Yes, Lord, with all that I am. Yes, Lord. He goes on and says, verse four, and the king commanded Hilkiah, the high priest, the priest of the second order and the doorkeepers to bring out of the temple of the Lord, all the articles that were made for Baal, for Asherah, and for all of the hosts of heaven and burn them outside Jerusalem in the fields of the Kidron and carried their ashes to Bethel. So this is already letting us know what was going on. So you had these temples, they're supposed to be to the Lord, and then they have all of these pagan things in them, all these pagan idols in the house of God. So he's he's taking care of business here. Let's see what happens. I don't think he stops there. Verse 5, Then he removed the idolatrous priests, whom the kings of Judah had ordained to burn incense on the high places in the cities of Judah and in the places all around Jerusalem. And those who burned incense to Baal, to the sun, to the moon, to the constellations, and to all the host of heaven, and he brought out the wooden image from the house of the Lord to the brook Kidron outside Jerusalem, burned it at the brook Kidron, and ground it to ashes, and threw its ashes on the graves of the common people. Then he tore down the ritual booths of the perverted persons that were in the house of the Lord, where the woman wove hangings for the wooden image." And he brought all the priests from the cities of Judah and defiled the high places where the priests had burned incense from Geba to Beersheba. Also, he broke down the high places at the gates, which were at the entrance of the gate of Joshua, the governor of the city, which were to the left of the city gate. Nevertheless, the priests of the high places did not come up to the altar of the Lord in Jerusalem, but they ate unleavened bread among their brethren. Verse 10, And he defiled Topheth, which is in the valley of the son of Hinnom, that no man might make his son or his daughter pass through the fire of Molech. So here's another ritual, occultic thing that they were doing, passing their kids through fire. Verse 11, Then he removed the horses that the kings of Judah had dedicated to the son at the entrance of the house of the Lord by the chamber of Nathan-Melech, the officer who was in the court. And he burned the chariots of the sun with fire, the altars that were on the roof, the upper chamber of Ahaz, which the kings of Judah had made, and the altars which Manasseh had made in the two courts of the house of the Lord. The king broke down and pulverized there and threw their dust into the brook Kedron. The Kidron's getting loaded up, huh? Right. Then the king defiled the high places that were east of Jerusalem. So we're moving on. Which were on the south of the Mount of Corruption which Solomon, king of Israel, had built for Ashtoreth, the abomination of the Sidonians, for Kamash, the abomination of the Moabites, and for Milcom, the abomination of the people of Ammon. And he broke in pieces the sacred pillars and cut down the wooden image and filled their places with the bones of men. Verse 15, moreover, the altar that was at Bethel and the high place which Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, Who made Israel sin had made both that altar and the high place, he broke down, and he burned the high place and crushed it to powder and burned the wooden image. Verse 16 As Josiah turned, he saw the tombs that were there on the mountain, and he sent and took the bones out of the tombs, and he burned them on the altar, and he defiled it according to the word of the Lord, which the man of God proclaimed, who proclaimed these words. Then he said, What gravestone is that I see? So the men of the city told him, it is the tomb of the man of God who came from Judah and proclaimed these things which you have done against the altar of Bethel. He saw a grave, and it was basically some voice of God going to these wicked people saying, hey, you need to quit that before the Lord judges you. So obviously they killed him. Yeah, they They, killed him. And so King Josiah saying, hey, what's the deal with that grave right there? Because I think he's, he's on a roll. He's like, we better dig that one up. It's like, no, this guy was actually a good guy.
0: So hold on, this guy fits your new order.
1: Yeah, exactly. Verse 18, he said, let him alone. Let no one move his bones. So they let his bones alone and the bones of the prophet who came from Samaria. Verse 19. Now, Josiah also took away all the shrines of the high places that were in the cities of Samaria, which the kings of Israel had made to provoke the Lord to anger. And he did to them according to all the deeds he had done to Bethel. He executed all the priests of the high places who were there on the altars and burned the men's bones on them, and he returned to Jerusalem. Verse 21, Then the king commanded all the people, saying, Keep the Passover to the Lord your God, as it is written in the book of the covenant. Such a Passover surely had never been held since the days of the judges who judged Israel, nor in all the days of the kings of Israel and the kings of Judah. But in the 18th year of King Josiah, this Passover was held before the Lord in Jerusalem. Moreover, Josiah put away those who consulted mediums, spiritists, the household gods and idols, and all the abominations that were seen in the land of Judah and in Jerusalem, that he might perform the words of the Lord, which were written in the book of Hilkiah, the priest, found in the house of the Lord. Now, before him, there was no king like him who turned to the Lord with all his heart, with all his soul, with all his might, according to the law of Moses, nor after him did any arise like him. I know that was lengthy, but it really demonstrates how you had this whole generation after generation after generation doing these wicked paganry, idolatrous things with things like offering their kids up to Moloch and worshiping the stars and all this craziness inside the temples of God. And then Josiah finds the Bible. Basically he's like, Whoa, we are way off the mark. Right. <laughs> and then he's like fully committed to, we're going to cleanse this place. Scorched earth policy. <laughs> yeah. right.
0: Well, and like it was saying, like passing your kids through the fire. If you look into the history of Baal and that whole, that whole false God system that they had, archaeologists have dug it up and looked into um the rituals of back then the writings the inscriptions they found in stone and things like that and child sacrifice was common like it was not unheard of for somebody to say oh the god needs to be pleased bring infants and it doesn't matter if the if they come for your infant you you're they're going to take it
1: and we see that now in modern day with abortions right you know and we're doing it a whole lot more in modern time by the millions really whenever you're reading through the book of second kings and again i i a lot of this stuff i found through my own reading time for the first time you get tired of reading about all of the sin and corruption and demonic activity that these kings of god's land over god's people and what they're doing you get fed up i mean this is verse 20 I mean i'm sorry this is chapter 23 and you're like, man, when's this going to stop? Then all of a sudden you get to Josiah. You're like,
0: yeah, let's get it on. Right. Like, let's wipe these dudes out. Well, where is it in the Bible that says, like, they've neglected the Lord and they've dug for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns or wells mm-hmm. um, that hold no water? Yeah. In other words, they're trying to find fulfillment in gods that are false. And that's a just a repeating thing. And, and you look at, look at the Old Testament commandments. You have God saying over and over. Do not marry, do not mix with the people of those lands around you. All of their temples, tear them down, be rid of their gods, and every time there's some Israeli guy who hooks up with some, like, Balinian girl, whatever people of Baal would be called. I'm going to say Balinian. Okay, I think it'll work. Yeah. Some Balinian girl, and she's like, oh, my mom's always taught me to sacrifice to Baal, and we do it like this. You want to join? And he's like, yeah, I want to do that. You're pretty. Yeah. And then wrath of <laughs> God. <laughs> and, and, then once-
1: and, and I think too, I want to add in there too. You've got two things why God is saying, don't mix with these, these people, these cultures, because the obvious that we just talked about the demonic ties of all of this paganry. But the other reason is that and we'll talk about this in some other episode again, but the race of giants, the Nephilim, and that was also in play. Because you know we get to David and Goliath right. through through this you know this area of the Bible, at this time in history. So there was two reasons why God was saying that. And again, it's because God is holy. He's seeing what's wicked. He's saying, "Stay away from it." I don't care how how luring or how appealing it may look to the eye. It's just demonic. It's demonic. Anyway, this is just an incredible passage where this guy goes on a war path and he's literally digging bones up. He's burning down you know these pagan churches and killing people who were leading him. And like, I could just see it like people running across the plains trying to escape. And then somehow he has a faster horse and and he catches up. Like there was no escape total and complete judgment. But anyway, so that's Josiah and the cleansing.
0: Okay. So next one, we're going to look into first Kings, like you were saying, and we're going to look at Elijah, right? With a J Elijah. Yeah. Before Elisha. The predecessor,
1: yeah, and again, first, second Kings, some amazing material in there. Some good bedtime
0: stories with your kids, you know. And while we're while we're hitting it, I mean, we were talking about Baal. Um, we were talking about in the last or one of the more recent recordings, we were talking about Gog and Magog, and we were talking about the spirit of Gog being a spirit that's loosed by God and it's not a man on the planet. Now take that to Baal. Here you have a a pagan god that is reoccurring in the Bible. And like we were saying, um, archaeologists, not even Christian archaeologists, just worldly archaeologists have, with the association of Baal and just pagan times from this era, have linked it to child sacrifice, infant sacrifice. Now, if that's a spirit, if that's not just a golden statue they built— but it's an actual demonic spirit. You you can't kill that spirit. It's still around today. And like you said, we're sacrificing infants left and right in America.
1: I believe it's influenced by the same demonic spirit.
0: Yeah, wholesale.
1: Right. And as we see the day approaching, the, the day of the Lord's return, you know, we're going
0: to see sin increase. Right. Okay, so this is First Kings 18. We're going to look at verse 20 through 40 real quick. I'm going to read it. So verse 20. And here Ahab is the king of Israel, which is the northern kingdom, Judah to the south, and the capital is in Samaria. So his palace is in Samaria, but it's not in Jerusalem. So verse 20, so Ahab sent for all the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together on Mount Carmel. And Elijah came to all the people and said, how long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal... Follow him. But the people answered him with no word. Then Elijah said to the people, I alone am left a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Therefore, let them give us two bulls and let them choose one bull for themselves, cut it in pieces and lay it on the wood, but put no fire under it. And I will prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood, but put no fire under it. Then you call on the name of your gods, plural, little g, and I will call on the name of the Lord. And again, Lord, there is anytime the script shifts when it says Lord in the Bible, he's actually saying Yahweh or Jehovah is using the name of God and they replace it with Lord.
1: Right. And that typically happens when you see Lord in all caps.
0: Right. So he's saying you call on Baal and I will call on Yahweh. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. So all the people answered and said, it is well spoken. Now, Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose one bull for yourselves and prepare it first for you are many and call on the name of your God, but put no fire under it. So they took the bull, which was given them and they prepared it and called on the name of Baal from morning till noon saying, "O Baal hear us. But there was no voice. No one answered. Then they leaped around the altar, which they had made. And this is where it gets good in verse 27. And so it was at noon that Elijah mocked them and said, cry aloud for he is a God. Either he is meditating or he is busy or he is on a journey or perhaps he is sleeping and must be awakened. So they cried aloud and cut themselves as was their custom with knives and lances until the blood gushed out of them. And when midday was past, they prophesied until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice. But there was no voice, no one answered, no one paid attention. Then Elijah said to all the people, Come near to me. So all the people came near to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. And so Elijah took 12 stones, according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Israel shall be your name. Then with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he made a trench around the altar large enough to hold two sehas of seed. And he put the wood in order, cut the bull in pieces, and laid it on the wood, and said, Fill four water pots with water, and pour it on the burnt sacrifice and on the wood. Then he said, Do it a second time, and they did it a second time. And he said, Do it a third time, and they did it a third time. So the water ran all around the altar, and he also filled the trench with water. And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel, and I am your servant. And that I have done all these things at your word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that you are the Lord God, and that you have turned their hearts back to you again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice, and the wood, and the stones, and the dust, and it licked up the water that was in the trench. Now when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And Elijah said to them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Do not let one of them escape. They seized them, and Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and executed them there. So we have a really, really cool story here, right? I mean, and I have heard this one from pulpits from time to time because they're making a point of God over false gods, but this is one of those really fascinating moments because normally in the world of God and of Christian things humility is called for and it is anything but humble whenever Elijah starts mocking them like cry louder Mm -hmm. hey dude Baal must be sleeping you're gonna have to wake him up you know what maybe he's traveling maybe he's actually over in Judah well, I'm glad you brought that up because we're talking about
1: specifically 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 27, where Elijah, right. where Elijah begins to mock him. So I just want to read to you two different English translations that we have of that very same verse. So the contemporary English version. At noon, Elijah began making fun of them. Pray louder, he said. Baal must be a god. And that's a little g. Maybe he's daydreaming or using the toilet or traveling somewhere. Or maybe he's asleep and you have to wake him up. <laughs> so I mean, you have all of these tons of priests and a whole huge host of people. Four hundred and fifty prophets. Yeah. So and then one Elijah, right? And so it looks really uneven here. This one man is he's totally heckling him. This one guy heckling the masses. And it's so funny, and even throws out like maybe your maybe your god, your little god, is is going potty, right. and and I'm thinking to myself, i what confidence that he has in the Lord, you know? Not only not only does he accept the challenge, right? I mean, I know God's in control, but I'm talking about Elijah, his faith, and where he's standing with the right. Lord and his walk. And not only does he accept the challenge, but he's heckling him. Well, no, he threw the challenge out. Yeah, yeah. So another translation is the English Standard Version. Same verse. This is 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 27. And at noon, Elijah mocked them, saying, Cry aloud, for he is a god. Either he is musing, or he is relieving himself, or he is on a journey, or perhaps he is asleep and must be awakened. He called him out, said, I think your god's going potty right now.
0: Right. Well, and what is that movie? I can't think of it right now, but that movie where it's like the whole army standing out there, and that one dude rides up and he says, I will accept your surrender now. <laughs> uh, Otherwise it's coming.
1: Yeah. And I think we look at this and it's a wonderful story to build our faith and to dem- You know, it demonstrates that God is much more superior than the gods of this world. That's little G and there are no other gods, right. but it's just people, they worship other things that, that become other people's gods. And so here it's just a full on, do whatever you need to do. And they're over there cutting themselves and bleeding all over the place and dancing around. And when it comes to Elijah, it's like, Hey, just douse it in a ton of water. Okay. Just, just right. put, let's put some more water on it because I don't think that's enough. Let's go a third time just to say y'all know it's wet. Right. And right. then it comes down. It licks up the wood. It licks up the sacrifice. It licks up the dust. The it dust. licks up the water itself. That's hot. <laughs> that's hot. Right. Do you know what that temperature has to be at? I don't know. It's probably over a thousand. I'm just guessing. No, yeah, it's intense. Well, but that's God. I mean, God is wants to remove all doubt and saying, this is real. I'm real. Y'all are fake. Y'all are on the wrong side of the road
0: here. Y'all need to get with, you know, repent or be destroyed. Well, imagine that image though. Whereas again, like you are saying, 450 guys over here, Elijah over here all by himself. It's not just the fact that he's taunting him, but he gave him the entire morning. That he's standing there being polite, watching them dance in circles and cry out loud. That would
1: have been exhausting. It, dude, Not only did it get exhausting. They just like, hey, let's, let's let
0: some blood out of our bodies. We're already tired. Let's go ahead and bleed out, too. They had, right? been, they had to have been absolutely exhausted. They had to be tag teaming it. Like, they got rings of 20. Like, those 20 guys dancing. <laughs> All right, you guys are up. <laughs> yeah. 450 guys, man. Well, you know, they're, they're on the wrong team. I don't know what else to say about it. Right. Anyways, just a fascinating passage. I've always been fascinated by that one. That's a good one.
1: I, well, I mean, whenever I read it, it's it's a happy story, right?
0: <laughs> <laughs> so we're gonna look at one more. What do you have?
1: Okay, we're gonna go now to Numbers chapter sixteen. Again, this is a little bit of a lengthy l- lengthy one. It, it's it's one whole chapter. Um, this is Moses. The Jews have already been led out of Egypt. And so while they're out there and they're wandering around, there's a lot of murmuring and complaining. You may have heard different stories to that effect. So here's yet another one. I think I mentioned this. I know I mentioned this in a previous episode, but I read this for the first time myself and I said, wow, I did know God dealt with people like that. I never heard this before. So it was another nugget found in the Bible, you know, upon reading it by yourself. So another plug that Christians need to be
0: reading their Bible. Well, you're going to find all the best stuff like this reading it by yourself. Quiet time. Yeah. this just, is You're in the zone. You're reading it. This is the kind of stuff that people have trouble making a lesson out of. Right. So they don't teach it in church that much. Like you'll learn it in Sunday school because of course you're going to learn all the Bible stories in Sunday school, which is most of the Old Testament, but you're not going to get any, in most cases, you're not going to get a lot of solid teaching on this kind of stuff. You just have to kind of find it on your own. I call it like a
1: foundational type studies because right. they're so long. Things are building upon themselves because stories are adding up, and they're referencing history. And yeah, absolutely. But here, here we are in the midst. It's Numbers, chapter sixteen, and it goes like this: Now, Korah, the son of Izhar, the son of Kohath, the son of Levi, with Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, and On, the son of Peleth, sons of Reuben, took men. And they rose up before Moses with some of the children of Israel, 250 leaders of the congregation, representatives of the congregation, men of renown. So they named off this crew. They're going to go talk to Moses. They're going to try to figure something out, right? Right. Verse 3, they gathered together against Moses and Aaron. Now remember, Aaron is the high priest because he's going to have an important role here at the end of this chapter. Okay. So we have Moses the prophet of God, and then you have Aaron, the high priest, the first high priest, that is. So again, they gathered together against Moses and Aaron and said to them, you take too much upon yourselves, for all the congregation is holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Why then do you exalt yourselves above the assembly of the Lord? Okay, so now we see what's going on here. They're saying, hey, look, so they come with flattery, but at the same time, you can see their angle to usurp. Right. They're saying, "What's so special about you?" And hey, why would you want to burden yourself? Look at all of us. You got help here. We're all worthy. There's nothing special about you or Aaron. I mean, not to say that y'all aren't among us. We're basically all special, you know. Right. So <laughs> it's it's this flattery and deception and conniving. And so they're they're saying, basically, they come to usurp the the authority because obviously they probably don't agree with what Moses and Aaron are doing. So.
0: Well, they're coming in like, look, everybody's a purple penguin. Yeah.
1: Nobody's an emperor penguin. Yeah,
0: that's right. So they're,
1: they're looking at this opportunity to try to debate or usurp the authority. And so verse four, so when Moses heard it, he fell on his face. Oh, no, that's probably a sign. So something's going to go down now, right. right? And he spoke to Korah and all his company saying, tomorrow morning, the Lord will show who is his and who is holy and will cause him to come near to him that one whom he chooses, he will cause to come near to him. I know it's a little bit wordy, but basically God's gonna select the one that he's called to be the leader. Okay, that's kind of the paraphrase. Verse six, do this, take censers, Korah, and all your company, put fire in them and put incense in them before the Lord tomorrow, and it shall be that the man whom the Lord chooses is the Holy One. You take too much upon yourselves, you sons of Levi. Verse 8, Then Moses said to Korah, Hear now, you sons of Levi, is it a small thing to you that the God of Israel has separated you from the congregation of Israel? to bring you near to himself to do the work of the tabernacle of the Lord and to stand before the congregation to serve them and that he has brought you near to himself, you and all your brethren, the sons of Levi, with you. And are you seeking the priesthood also? Therefore you and all your company are gathered together against the Lord. Oh man, there it is. That's not good. And what is Aaron that you complain against him? So you have the tribe of Levite or the tribe of Levi, the the Levites, the Levitical ones. They're the ones in charge of God's temple. And so Moses is already saying, hey, you are coming here to seek more power and authority. And God has given you a special task to take care of his house. And now you're here complaining because it's not good enough. And God doesn't doesn't overlook that. So he's going to deal with it now. Verse 12, and Moses sent to call Dathan and Abiriam, the sons of Eliab, but they said, we will not come up. Is it a small thing that you have brought us up out of the land of flowing with milk and honey to kill us in the wilderness? That you should keep acting like a prince over us? Dude, those are fighting words. He just called slavery in Egypt, the land of flowing milk and honey. And then he's accusing Moses to be a prince out here in the wilderness. Right. So the whole reason why they're still walking around is because we know that in this whole journey that they refused to go into the land that God gave them and subdue it because they were afraid of giants. I mean, God just took down the largest empire in the world. What's the problem with going in and taking out a few tribes, even though they're giants? God's going to take care of that too, but you know, they couldn't do it. So More disobedience, more murmuring and complaining. So again, God's going to deal with this. Verse 14, Moreover, you have not brought us into a land flowing with milk and honey, nor given us inheritance of fields and vineyards. Will you put out the eyes of these men? Will we not come up? Then Moses was very angry and said to the Lord, Do not respect their offering. I have not taken one donkey from them, nor have I hurt one of them. And Moses said to Korah, Tomorrow you and all your company be present before the Lord, you and they, as well as Aaron. Let each take his censer and put incense in it, and each of you bring his censer before the Lord. Two hundred and fifty censers, both you and Aaron, each with his censer. So every man took his censer, put fire in it, laid incense on it, and stood at the door of the tabernacle of the meeting with Moses and Aaron. And Korah gathered all the congregation against them at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. Then the glory of the Lord appeared to all the congregation. Now God showed up. <laughs> right. So here, here we go. Verse 20. Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, Separate yourselves from among this congregation, that I may consume them in a moment. Then they fell on their faces and said, O God, the God of the spirits of all flesh, shall one man sin and you be angry with all the congregation? So the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the congregation saying, Get away from the tents of Korah, Dathan, and Abiriam. Then Moses rose and went to Dathan, Abiriam, and the elders of Israel followed him. And he spoke to the congregation saying, depart now from the tents of these wicked men, touch nothing of theirs, lest you be consumed in all their sins. So they got away from the tents of Korah, Dethan, Abiram, and Dathan and Abiram came out and stood at the door of their tents with their wives, with their sons, and their little children. Oh no. <laughs> right. And Moses said, By this you shall know that the Lord has sent me to do all these works, for I have not done them of my own will. If these men die naturally, like all men, or if they are visited by the common fate of all men, then the Lord has not sent me. So there's the gauntlet thrown down. But if the Lord creates a new thing, And the earth opens its mouth and swallows them up with all that belongs to them. And they go down alive into the pit. Then you will understand that these men have rejected the Lord. (laughs) So I wonder what we're about to read. Verse 31. Now it came to pass as he finished speaking all these words that the ground split apart under them and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up with their households and all the men with Korah with all their goods. So they and all those with them went down alive into the pit and the earth closed over them and they perished from among the assembly. Then all Israel who were around them fled at their cry. And they said, lest the earth swallow us up also. And a fire came out from the Lord and consumed the 250 men who were offering incense. Yeah. They didn't get away either. (laughs) So they had a special judgment. Theirs was fire. Verse 36 Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Tell Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, to pick up the censers out of the blaze, for they are holy, and scatter the fire some distance away. Then the censers of these men who sinned against their own souls, let them be made into hammered plates as a covering for the altar, because they presented them before the Lord. (laughs) So it's like what they brought was used by God. They were judged, but. Thank you for your offering today at the at the church right. service.
0: <laughs> just for injection, could you imagine being the goldsmith that they took those two? God said, hammer these into a plate. <laughs> You're looking at a bunch of bowls. I think I'm ready. <laughs> that you know the guys just got
1: cooked. Yeah, it's like, I think I'm ready. I'll, hopefully I'm worthy here. Right. <laughs> so, all right. So again, it says, because they presented them before the Lord, therefore they are holy and they shall be assigned to the children of Israel. Like a reminder. <laughs> so Eleazar the priest took the bronze censer, which those who were burned up had presented and they were hammered out as a covering on the altar to be a memorial to the children of Israel that no outsider who is not a descendant of Aaron should come near to offer incense before the Lord. Oh man, they just got closed out. It's like a you're ruined here that he might not become like Korah and his companions, just as the Lord had said to him through Moses. So we'll, we'll just pause right here in this story because that was epic. Right. When I read that, I did the put it in reverse. Hold on a second.
0: The earth just opened up and swallowed some people. Well, and what's interesting is think about it like this. The earth opens up, swallows them and then closes again. (laughs) I mean, Think about an earthquake, like when a fault line splits, there's a elevation shift, there's a gap, it opens up, but then it's going to come right back together, and well, now no, people are going well, to have to walk over that crack.
1: Right, well, think about that, just what you said. So, modern-day earthquake, you've got, what, infrastructure, bridges, mm. underground plumbing, sewer connections, whatever, roadways, and then you have this big thrust fault, and then you got this big problem, this big gap in the road, And then what happens? The construction people come out there and they're scratching their heads like, well, how are we going to make that fit back together again? And so it has to be dealt with. But here, just as you're saying, it's like God puts it back
0: together. Like, and it's back together again. (laughs) Dude, could you imagine that you know that those people knew exactly where that that hole was? Could you imagine you're walking across camp, basically? And you're like, oh, and then here's that. Let's go this way.
1: (laughs) Or a little quick hop over
0: and then go back to your normal pace. (laughs) They probably like painted like an ink line across the sand. Yeah. Hey, it was a big
1: deal. It was a huge deal. So, so that was a big thing. That was a big thing. There's all kinds of lessons in there about, you know, what is holy and holy means to be separated and to be pulled out and and, uh, set apart from others. And so you see this imagery in there. So we just had hundreds of people killed by fire. These three, Men of, I was going to say men of God, but these three Jewish people and their families were swallowed up. And so you would think at this point, everybody's just going to be cautious. Right. We just witnessed something. It was huge. It was of biblical proportions. So we're going to be careful because Moses seemed to be very in control as ordained by God. I mean, that's how I'm reading this thing, right? if I saw that happen, I'm going to be thinking to myself, I know who I'm going to follow here. I know who I'm backing. So this is numbers. Okay. We, we, we pause there in verse 40, but now we need to read on verse 41 on the next day. (laughs) It wasn't the next year. It wasn't the next decade. It says on the next day, all the congregation of the children of Israel, complained against Moses and Aaron saying, you have killed the people of the Lord. Right. Are you serious? I can't believe this. I don't think that'd be my first thought that next morning. I think I'd wake up and say, was that a dream or did that happen? Then I would go look at the tents like, no, that happened because they're gone. (laughs) They're not here now. (laughs) They're in the pit. (laughs) So again, they're complaining. You have killed the people of the Lord. Now it happened when the congregation had gathered against Moses and Aaron that they turned toward the tabernacle of meeting and suddenly the cloud covered it and the glory of the Lord appeared. Uh Oh, he must've heard the complaints the next day. Right. So the Lord's back <laughs> as if he ever left. Right. All right. Now this is going to get sporty. Okay. It says again, the glory of the Lord appeared. Then Moses and Aaron came before the tabernacle of meeting. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, "Get away from among this congregation, that I may consume them in a moment." And they fell on their faces. So Moses said to Aaron, <laughs> "Now, things are probably a little bit um, intense and elevated, and they're probably a little panicky at this moment. Right? So it's like, quick, scramble! Right. <laughs> we have an event taking place." <laughs>
0: something's afoot he's like Aaron it's again (laughs) again dude yeah
1: Yeah. so they're scrambling they're scrambling and and again listen it says so Moses said to Aaron remember Moses is the prophet Aaron is the high priest Mm -hmm. so so he's instructing Aaron take a censer so here's these censers again and put fire in it from the altar okay this is sounding kind of similar from what just occurred yesterday put incense on it and take it quickly to the congregation and make atonement for them. So atonement's like a like a sacrifice looking for God's atonement and then to reach the forgiveness of this offense. And it says for wrath has gone out from the Lord. <laughs> so it's already <laughs> I hate laughing here, but it says the wrath is has gone out from the Lord. It's already happened. The wrath is on the loose. Right. <laughs> so they're trying to – I could just picture this. It's like they're trying to race the wrath of God to try to hurry up and do their recipe, <laughs> to do their high priest recipe to please the Lord while the wrath is real
0: fast and busy and efficient right. out there just slaying people. Well, that's like, dude, the wrath is running amok. Yeah. <laughs> we got to get it
1: I mean, we're laughing about this, but it's so just, it's almost absurd. They're back at it again the next day. Yeah, they didn't Uh, even waste a day. Like they think that they're going to do better than the previous people who were swallowed up in the earth. Like I saw where they went wrong. We can improve on this strategy. (laughs) So anyway. Their problem was they were all standing together. Yeah, if we spread out and have a different point of view. (laughs) So, okay, so let me get back on text here. It says, It says, uh, for the wrath has gone out from the Lord. The plague has begun. Then Aaron took it as Moses commanded and ran. (laughs) He's not walking. He's running. He ran into the midst of the assembly and already the plague had begun among the people. So he put in the incense and made atonement for the people. It's like, whew, (laughs) made it, (laughs) got there. So Aaron, at this point, not looking and wasting time. He's focused on his mission. He's running. And by the time he completes it, now then, he's looking around. There's probably an assessment going on. It says, verse 48, And he stood between the dead and the living, so the plague was stopped. Now those who had died in the plague were 14,700. Besides those who died in the Korah incident... So Aaron returned to Moses at the door of the tabernacle of meeting for the plague had stopped. (laughs) So what did we have the, the previous day? We had, we had the three Jewish men with their children, their families. I don't know how many is in that number, but then you have the other 250 people that were burned. So you had the three men, their families were swallowed up and then you had the, 250 others who were burned up. So let's just call it 300. I mean, I'm just guessing how many were swallowed in the earth, but let's just call it 300. You have 300 that were killed on the first day. And then the next day they're thinking that that fate won't be theirs or that they can improve on the strategy, as I mentioned earlier. And then now the Lord is saying, you thought that was a joke. I mean, did you miss the point? And then... (laughs) And then here comes the plague and Aaron's scrambling, man. He's, he's doing this recipe and he's, he's doing his thing. And he's like, man, I just, I can't go any faster. And people are dropping around me like flies. Right. And he's like, man, there goes another hundred. There goes another thousand, 14,700 people dead before Aaron could do what
0: needed to be done to make atonement. Right. Before he can mix up incense, light on fire and walk around waving smoke. I'm like, hold on. Hold on. I got it. Oh my goodness,
1: man. But, uh, you know, it's a, it shows the stubbornness of the human heart. It shows the condition of the, the fallen soul. It shows yeah. basically the type of world that we live in. And that's how God views our sin. I mean, he judges it. There's no, there's no half measure with the wrath of God. You, you know, and, and as Christians, we think that we don't have the wrath of God on us. Um, I mean, we don't. Let I me mean, rephrase that. We don't think that the wrath of God is applied or is applicable to our actions. But it absolutely is the full wrath of God was poured out on Jesus Christ on our behalf. So the wrath is visiting your sin. It's just that Jesus is the one that's bearing the wrath for you. In the meantime, those that are in the world, they think that, oh, well, I'm I'm okay. Nothing's happened to me. Hey, judgment hasn't come to you yet. It's coming. There's the great white throne judgment. There's the lake of burning sulfur, the lake of fire. So wrath is coming and you know, that's how God views it. God does not compromise in his judgment. He does not compromise in what he sees as sin or wickedness, you know, versus righteousness or his holiness. It's it's very, very black and white, yes or no, righteous or wicked. Yeah. And, and there's, there's no like, oh, okay, well, that was kind of okay. Oh, we're going to make an exception for that one this time. No, it's either sin, needing God's judgment upon it, Or it's righteous and glorifying God. And, you know, but anyway, these stories tonight we we wanted to share with with everyone. And because these are some of the amazingly awesome uh, stories of how God really was unique in his judgment and responding to to people on the earth and stuff that just kind of blows your mind.
0: And we actually had a couple others that we decided, you know what? No, because we're bound to use that in whatever you know is coming like that's going to be here and that's going to be here so it's like we're actually going to have a place to use those really unique odd type stories right we have a place for those so let's not use them tonight yeah so there's a lot more where these came from of oh there's course. so many
1: and if you know if
0: you want to know and have a
1: little sneak peek about what we're going to do just read your whole bible and you'll you'll pick one of them up or somewhere right. <laughs> another plug read your bible
0: okay so that's it for minicast one the mini casts we're just taking the opportunity to mm-hmm. kind of fill in the gaps um, between subject matter that we do or don't cover in the big stuff or just small topics that, you know, just don't warrant a full episode. So we're not going to really include them in the the episode number counting. They're just going to show up, you know, as we feel a need for them. But with all that said, thanks for listening. you have a good day.